0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me, as always. You can check out all of our stories as we are writers first at MichiganInsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. Last week, we did a lot of recruiting. If you have 2019 recruiting questions or insight that you're looking for, uh, that has got to be your one-stop shop. I mean, it was, it was a 90-minute episode in total we also did talk some hoops and some other team notes briefly but it was over an hour of recruiting uh going to be you know that's that's probably our our final thoughts on the 2019 class uh, obviously 2020 you know we talked last week also about the 2020 timeline so we'll we'll throw in some recruiting here and there uh but this podcast is going to be very basketball heavy Wolverines are 22 and 3 But they lost last night at Penn State, 75-69. to They trailed by as many as 16. John Beeline uh, was handed his second ejection in 1,284 career games. Uh, His first ejection in 40 years. I mean, it's, you know, he was 26 the last time he got ejected. And he's, you know, people are wondering how close he is to retirement now, you know. And so it's... It speaks to how rare it was, uh, but Michigan also trailed by 13 before the ejection came. So, we'll talk a little bit about the loss, and then we'll have some some more team-wide issues. I know Tyler Patterson <laughs> asked us, we fielded questions, did not get very many questions this week, but he, he asked you know, how much the, did the refs make it at Vegas last night. Uh, S- Steve, I don't know about you, there were definitely some some missed calls, and, and I think I think there's definitely something stylistic with how they were calling that didn't match Beeline and Michigan. Again, I don't think what I saw... Now, there is something to be said for Beeline arguing at halftime versus in the middle of the game, right? Because every coach, you know, I think there's other coaches in the Big Ten, don't need to name names, you can probably guess, that are very theatrical, you know, talking to the refs all game and, and things like that. But there's something to be said for halftime. But at the same time, clearly... The refs were not happy with Beeline before the first technical was issued. You know, throughout the first half, he must have been in their ear, must have said some choice words or or hit said the magic words, I guess that ticked those particular refs off. And then when he kind of turned around to continue to argue the call on his way to the locker room, it was a little bit of a backpedal, got ejected. Anyway, that the Penn State hit three free throws, they went down 16. Michigan mounted a comeback got it within four with eight minutes to go then couldn't make the play so Steve I guess the uh, first question how much of that loss do you put on the we'll call it officiating anomaly of beeline being ejected you know there are gonna be missed calls in every game they're not always gonna you know I don't' I'm not, I'm not I wasn't paying nearly enough attention to the calls to chart which ones went against Michigan which ones did not but how much do you put on the strange officiating game and how much do you just put on Michigan not playing the way it should have played?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, so here's the deal. This is the same – so the same official is officiated – the same crew is officiated all three of them Not the
0: same crew, just one guy, Lewis Garrison. Is one,
1: is he, but is, is he the head?
0: I don't think he has been the head in any of them, actually, okay. But but he's only officiated – so I tweeted this out last night. He's only officiated four games, one of, for for Michigan. <laughs> He's officiated more than that this year, but he officiated Michigan's win over Norfolk State, and then his three games since then: the loss at Wisconsin, the loss at Iowa, and the loss at Penn State.
1: Okay, because I think it's it. You and I was referring to your tweet too when I asked that because I, I wonder if you know if Beeline, his reaction that put, you know, that push for the eventual ejection was if these guys know who's officiating what games, right? Right. Right. And so you wonder, you know, if, if, if he had just had, if he had maybe had it a little bit and went little further than he usually does. That being said, I think the fact that he was ejected was a complete joke yeah. uh, when you consider I think he even said it after the game, or I think Saudi Washington said one, I think it was maybe it was Washington said it after the game about, you know, that he had built up, he's built up enough equity, (laughs) you know, to uh, maybe get a little bit of a longer leash in these situations, especially like you said, when you compare it to some, uh, we'll say other coaches in the big 10 who are over the top theatrical on a day-to-day basis. Uh, You know, so I thought, I thought it was, All that context considered, I thought the whole situation was kind of odd. Because it it is the the common thread, I think, in all three of those losses is that there was some kind of a a break from the norm regarding Michigan as far as the way that they were officiated. Like Teske against Iowa picks up two fouls in a matter of seconds.
0: Well, and Michigan had Uh, 14 fouls in the first 12 minutes of the game. They averaged 14 fouls a game. Right. They had, or it might have been 10 in the first 12. Uh, Regardless, it was, they were exceptionally ahead of pace with fouls. Right.
1: And so, and then against Wisconsin with the flagrant, which I still am am just at a loss about that one as far as, you know, what they were trying to do was they should have called the original personal foul to begin with at the beginning of that play. And then it turns into a flagrant because they didn't call the original foul they should have Mm -hmm. called. Um, you know, I, 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 it's just odd. I guess it's it, and they also didn't do what obviously didn't do what they were supposed to do. I think mm-hmm. I, I look at yesterday's game, uh, and somebody posted this on our board right before I logged on to to call in for to call in here today. Is that the uh, that press that Penn State put on where it wasn't necessarily like a uh, was it the forty minutes of hell or anything like crazy like that, you know, but it was it was just a more of a calculated sort of half trap half zone style like three quarters court mm-hmm. it kind of and and I agreed with the poster it it I felt like it kind of knocked Michigan out of their rhythm in the half court uh to where by the time they got settled in, the shot clock was about halfway yeah gone and i I do I think you look back, I think that had a real effect on what Michigan was able to do offensively uh I think the other big takeaway for me last night is that I think that uh I think that teams are starting to learn how to de- defend Brozdakis uh I I think you know I know he's a guy he's a kind of a high leverage guy with the ball uh is is gonna try to take a lot of shots and stuff but I I kind of feel like his game as far as at least inside the three-point line because he's become a pretty solid shooter from the outside, uh, but his game from the two from the three-point line in I feel has become a little predictable as far as he kind of likes to just put his head down and drive to the basket all the time and I feel like defenders are starting to kind of get a feel for what he's trying to do. Uh, and I, and I don't th- like, I think he's a guy that, I mean, I guess I, I'd say, I think he's a guy that would do better for himself if he passed the ball a little bit more, I guess. I, I just, he's kind of one of those guys. I feel like in, you see this in the pros a lot where like, I don't know, star player, let's say he doesn't, doesn't take a shot like in four straight possessions And then all of a sudden, you know, he's going to take a shot in the fifth possession because he hasn't taken a shot in a while. And then (laughs) it usually ends up being like a bad shot just because it's like they just feel like they need to shoot. And uh, I kind of feel like, you know, I don't know. I kind of feel like that's, he's been doing a lot of that uh, the last couple, the last few games or so. I just, I think his, I think teams are starting to learn how to defend him a lot better. And I think it's kind of limited his effectiveness. The, the time that he wasn't you know was when he had the when he was hitting from the perimeter right so that's where he you know he's he is multifaceted like that uh, I just like to see him do you know a little bit more as far as you know when nothing's there to kind of kick you because know, his he gets his shot blocked a lot you know in the lane and, and also kind of throws up a lot of junk in the lane and I don't know maybe he's trying to draw fouls and they're not calling him, but you know, I just think there's been a little inconsistency there, and I think teams, like I said, are starting to see a, a couple holes in there. And, uh, you know, between he and Poole, I think just the shot selection continues to be mm-hmm. a, a little lackluster, I'd say. Um, pool from deep, Iggy from inside the arc.
0: Yeah. Iggy, I agree with what you're saying, and I, I've kind of been saying on on the message boards and on on the radio for – really since uh, December, you know, he is not a guy. Like the best thing that could happen to him is when, when he figures out how to pass effectively. Right. Cause he's not in a, he's not a high assist rate guy and he'll pass. Like he's not like, he's not 2007 Kobe, you know, it's not like he's, he's only taking the ball, but you're right in that there are times where he kind of has the mentality. This is, this is my drive. And that's, that can work, and that's why he scored. You know, because, one, I do disagree. I don't think teams have uh, figured out how to defend him. I think Wisconsin has because <laughs> he has two combined points against Wisconsin. But I think if you look at his – this last night was the first time he didn't score in double digits against a non-Wisconsin Big Ten team. And in the five games before Saturday, he was averaging 18.2 points per game. So – yeah, I don't know if it's a figured out as much as if it's a they're more aware, and he, and he needs to be more aware.
1: Right, and he was three for four from the field yesterday. Right, I mean, it's not like foul he trouble was kept like, him out more than right, anything. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I get it. It's just I also felt like though that you know defenders, and I don't remember who Penn State had on him. Was it? It wasn't Stevens. Was it? I it, think was it was for
0: a time because they wanted part of why uh, Penn State started to pull away a little bit is that they met. When Brzezecis hit foul trouble, Penn State just went small ball because right. they, you know, the Teskey versus Stevens, and I'm, I might have had my head down writing. I, why wasn't I'm wondering why Livers wasn't put on Stevens, and maybe Teskey took a breather or something. But, but I think I think you're right though that it's it's they ha, they don't like have the kryptonite for Brzezecis, but they have they have a better understanding of what he does so they're going to predict it a little bit. They're going to make it tougher for him to be open. And, you know, three for four, well, if your leading scorer is only getting four shots up in a game, that speaks volumes too. Right. You know, well, no matter how many he makes, you know, he's he's someone that is probably averaging around 11, 12 shots a night. So for them to run run him away from a shot eight times or have him on the bench for that many shots, that's, that's a big part of why... Michigan lost, and I think there were, you know, I think he, he being in foul trouble. Stevens and line mentioned this in the press conference last night. You know, Teskey is not gonna, he is not trained or equipped, or nor should he be expected to guard a six-seven, uh, really right. Charles Matthews type player, a guy who's who's really good at step backs, followaways, mid-range shots. It was it was kind of bizarre. And I'll, I'll I'm, maybe I might go watch the game again just to see. Did they have livers in too? I, I, what was the or was it because Brzezecas was out they couldn't go liver, livers Matthews at the four five? It's. Uh, yeah, the, it was. And a, that
1: was the thing is they they were never really in foul trouble, but they ran a lot of really different lineups out there yesterday than they usually. Outside of Iggy, you know, who did get into foul trouble, and I think Matthews eventually at the very very end of the game. Yeah, well, but, it,
0: with two forty to go in the first half, Matthews did pick up a second foul. Right. And I, I wrote this as my key stretch in my game recap that they were down. Michigan was down six, and they had some momentum. And then once Matthews and Brisdakis got went on the bench. Penn State ripped off a nine-two run to go up thirteen at the break, which is way oh, sure. different than being six or eight points down. Sure, and it, it maybe you know, Beeline's not ticked off and getting the technical, you know?
1: Right. It's just this. It even statistically, this game just seems like a complete anomaly. Um,
0: yeah, Michigan shot okay.
1: You know? Yeah, it's like Teske only took two shots. Livers played thirty-three minutes, only took four shots. Um. Simpson had six turnovers, you know, it's That's just, rare. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's just this game. Like we talk about like the dud that they lay every year, that they seem to have a dud in them every year. And, and I don't look at obviously at Wisconsin's not a dud. And I don't really think at Iowa's a dud either. The
0: way year. they looked. So I, I look at, at Iowa, like I look at, at Nebraska last year where oh. it wasn't, that wasn't the dud the dud was at Northwestern, right? But there right. was a game where they just were not ready, and it just right. it, it all fell apart. Yeah,
1: against the this... decent team though on the road. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. like, I was solid. And, yeah, top twenty uh, team. Yeah, right. I and and yeah, so it, this is what I would call that dud. That again, <laughs> they just seem to be good for one of these every year, and it is. And it was one of those games where everything just. Just things just seemed off across the well. I mean, beeline got ejected. I mean, come on, we're talking about <laughs> something that literally never happens. Um, so you know, and you have a team like Penn State who's horrible from the perimeter goes six for 15, which for them is an improvement, uh, you know, from what they're used to. Mm-hmm. You get, you know, you start the second half with four foul, you know, four foul shots. Um, uh, just a bizarre type of game. And the deal is now is like, how much do you read into it? And it's, I mean, that's kind of the million dollar question. I They kept talking about how many close losses Penn state's had this year, but uh, there's been a, a handful, but it's not really that many. I mean, I think they, they stink, you know, like they're not very, not that good. Mm. And the, you think so? I mean, so, seen, I, I'm so, looking at their schedule and like, I mean, they had the Ohio state loss was close. But
0: the Purdue loss was close, the Iowa loss was close, the Minnesota loss was close. Beeline mentioned last night, and I did not fact check this, but I remember it's been mentioned enough, and I think Pat Chambers also mentioned it. Penn State has led in the second half of its last six games. And that's why that's why this one, you know, one thing I, I think is worth noting. I don't know they haven't done the net rankings for today, which is Wednesday yet, but Penn State, before last night's game, was a Quadrant 1 game on the road. They were a top 75 team.
1: That's weird. And so... I get, I see it. I, I know what you're
0: saying, though. So, you know, it. they're going to end up being, you know, it's going to be... It's still a dud, right? Michigan, right? Michigan played Penn State a couple months ago. We know kind of what, what a Michigan team should look like against Penn State, and that was, what, a 13-point win? So... You know, it's maybe a little closer on the road. It is different on the road. That's why the net rankings, uh, and and the selection committee has put so much more value on on some of these computer metrics because they've been able to quantify the difficulties of road games. I mean, I, I had the stat. You know, we're, if you want to talk, we can switch to big picture now. You know, the stat that uh, I put last night in, Beeline wins about his his three his winning percentage is about three hundred points higher in non Big Ten road games. <laughs> like he wins he wins forty two percent of the time in Big Ten road games. He wins seventy two percent of the time in everything else. And sure. so it's and I, I look back at twenty thirteen and twenty eighteen, uh against worse Big Tens, mind you, Michigan was nine and nine in Big Ten road games and they were fifty five and seven in everything else. Right. And so so yeah, you know it it I think the response the the remaining schedule suggests that a response is necessary because i think you know the defensive rebounding was an issue i think the shot shot selection might not be a specific enough term but it seemed like there was like a 8 minute stretch from really the 12 minute mark to the 3 minute mark where michigan it just seemed like they didn't make the right decision shooting at, you know the entire time and and you know the the zone Ohio State did a zone and it worked for a spell. Iowa ran a two three. Penn State did a like a three quarter press one two two zone. It's nothing Michigan hasn't seen, but it's it did. You're absolutely right. It, it even if it slows them down four seconds, are they chucking up a long two instead of going to the basket? Are they shooting in, into cut into into someone's hand instead of? you know, wide-open three that they could have gotten with an extra pass. I mean, that's that's kind of the name of the game with the... Beeline talks about the shorter shot clock, like it's this, you know, 12-second deal. But, you know, it is shorter than it used to be. And so if you can slow Michigan, especially a team like Michigan, up, just, you know, make Xavier Simpson work getting across half-court a little bit. As long as you can hang with them, and they have the athleticism in that they're not they don't have too many slow-footed guys on Penn State's team. They can they can kind of hang with them. And so yeah, if you can slow Michigan down by 2 seconds, you know, that might be worth over the course of 65 possessions, that might be worth 6 points. And that's how much they won by. So it's it's just, you know, there was that. I think you know, on defense hard to hard to sit here and say Teske screwed up on Stevens cuz I don't know if that was on him. But they do need a guy like Iggy out there because he's he's physical enough in his defense. You know, we saw what he did to Cameron Johnson, who's suddenly looking like a like an All ACC player. You know, Eric Pasco looking like an All Big East player. You know, he he was there, right? You know, toe to toe with those guys. And so, what's uh, you know, I don't know if that's something you can necessarily predict or pre- prevent like say hey iggy don't commit two fouls because it doesn't happen all the time but you know i don't know i i think
1: what about that de- like big picture like oh that's a, yeah
0: like, yeah <laughs> that is a big one the depth i assume that's the word i you're, mean yeah
1: yeah i mean that's what i'm looking even just at the strictly at the minutes disbursement they And have uh
0: three players in the top 15 minutes per game in the big 10
1: yeah i mean that's Tell you what, man, I don't like, that's not a recipe for success necessarily. Um, you know, I, I still don't know what to make of of John's at this point. Uh, you can see flashes. Uh, I actually thought, you know, he turned around, took that, the one jumper he took, you know, he, he actually was able to showcase that he almost got up and got the offensive rebound like over, like the guy, he I mean, was actually, it ended up going out on Michigan, Penn State got the ball, but it was actually kind of an impressive, you know, one of those deals where it's like, okay, this guy's definitely a plus-plus athlete, you know, like there's some tools there, and then Brooks is kind of the, I don't know, I don't know if he's the guy that uh, needs to turn it on, or if he's the guy that is in most danger of losing his minutes right now. I mean, you you kind of watch yesterday's game, and you kind of have to wonder, you know, how close is David to Julius at this point? Because for, there's stretches when Brooks is on the floor where, you know, he does he looks like a liability on both ends of the of the floor.
0: So does he you on know, defense? Because because Beeline he's been, keeps I, he's you know, banging the gavel that Brooks is just so on top of things on defense. Maybe not like this physical. Uh, Force, but just like you know, be in the right place at the right time, kind of reading teams. I have not particularly like parsed through what Brooks does. I'm kind of, I would say he's probably around replacement level on defense, and I, obviously, offense. You know, it's nice to keep delivering passes from you know, field it on, on the left side, pass it to the right, or something like that, but uh. I think he's.
1: He just he, seems like a non-threat. Yeah. You know, I don't well, know teams that. notice they're they're backing that. off on him. Yeah, it's right. You have to think like it's some of that's got to be confidence, you know, because you watch his you watch his film, and in high school, and I think I was it. Did you? I don't know if you had post on the board or you mentioned something on Twitter about you know he came from a smaller.
0: Yeah, that was on the board. Because Beeline yeah, says he has school. to remind Brooks he scored thirty points a game at Spring Grove.
1: Right. But he was, I mean, you know, this is a guy that Villanova wanted. I mean, he's not, he wasn't, he wasn't really one of those guys that they took like a flyer on, you know, he wasn't a, one of those project types that Michigan takes and that usually pans out. I mean, he was, he was a pretty highly recruited guy out of the area. And, uh, you know, you watch his film and like he scores in such a variety of ways in his, in his high school film. And like he's at points this season, he's been able to, you know, at least look effective, you know, yeah. if he's got some nifty moves and stuff, but out here, like the last month or so it's, uh, yeah, he's, is. he's just, he's like, uh, it's like he's the, a cog on the assembly line or something, <laughs> you know, it's like it, he's like you pass, get him the ball. And then he just kind of passes it along to the next guy. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, then just kind of runs around and lays the screen and then, you know, he just, you know, I, yeah, I feel like defenses don't really look at him as any kind of threat right now. And, you know, when, when you have a guy like DeJulius who was such a natural scorer in high school and, you know, you're already an elite defensive team, but you maybe need a, a guy that can hit you some, some shots or hit some baskets, you know, you kind of have to wonder at how far away he is, you know, or how, I don't know, how much danger, again, I guess, I suppose if Beeline is talking about Brooks having defensive ability, he's going to continue to see the floor. I mean, I, I don't believe. Yeah, because
0: he... he does make the decision, you know?
1: right? <laughs> right, and and if and you know, there is always going to be a premium on guys that that do play defense and can play defense. So I get that, but you know, I think Michigan's in a position now where you know to be able to have this somewhat of like a, I don't know, like a. Well, not maybe Duncan, obviously not Duncan Robinson level, but, you know, Duncan Robinson came off the bench last year and was, you know, a, a, a big-time three-point scorer. Yeah. You know, to have, like, a shooter to cut that, that you can bring in off the bench, you know, that can hit, I think, would be is something that they're kind of lacking for the first time I can remember under B-line, you know, and so...
2: Yeah, I think it of, happened
1: a couple
0: years ago, but you look at last year's bench, I mean, they had John Teske who burst out for 14 points against Purdue they had Jaron Simmons who scored 10 points against Montana. They had Jordan Poole who hit buzzer beaters and had multiple 20-point games. They had Duncan Robinson who had multiple 20-point games and and was someone who scored at least 6 points. I want to I mean he averaged double digits off the bench. So it's right. it's it's clearly not the same. I mean like think about think about like those roles this year. Could you imagine Eli Brooks the backup too this year hitting a buzzer beater? In the round of 32? No. Right. Could you imagine Brandon Johns or Austin Davis? Or I guess Isaiah Livers, you could say, going off for 15 in the Big Ten Championship game? Probably not. Could you imagine David DeJulius, the third-string point guard, like Jerron Simmons? I guess Jerron might have been second-string. But anyway, you know,
1: it's just... Point still stands.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not the same bench. And I think it's a big month for DeJulius, Johns, and Brooks and right. Davis too because all of them have i mean you know we've we've covered we covered them when they were in high school we covered them now we've seen them do things in non-conference play but Eli Brooks he has 10 points in his last 11 games yeah you're not
1: going to cut it man like that's it isn't you're going to put too much pressure i mean again Simpson played 38 minutes again yesterday right yeah. and i don't know i mean i look at Simpson with six turnovers and I don't know. Sometimes you wonder is like, is there a little bit of fatigue setting in with some of these guys? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, no. that could be, yeah, this, I know it's still not that late, you know, and that there's that you'd assume that maybe fatigue hasn't set in. Cause it better not at this point. Cause there's, you know, for them cross your fingers There's a long ways to go still, but you know, I don't know. It's like Penn State's a matchup that I say Simpson, I think, should be more should have been should be able to be more effective in that type of deal, but I, I don't know. So,
0: well, one thing with fatigue, I, I think the depth is is less of a fatigue problem because you know their schedule does. I mean, they they are going to get days upon days upon days off. You know, they get a whole week off before they play Michigan State. They get they're going to end up getting six days off before they play in the Big Ten tournament. They're going to get four maybe even five days off before they play in the NCAA tournament. And one thing to keep in mind, and I know this only because I've covered these teams the past couple of years, it, it is a little bit, you know, you don't, it's not a school night when you're playing in the NCAA tournament, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not the same kind of atmosphere. You're in the hotel, like your entire focus is on basketball. You're, you're with your team constantly, like, it's a little bit better of a situation to rest and to recover properly versus, like, going back to your dorm or to the apartment and, like, having homework or, like, you know, having other, other obligations that student athletes do have. So it's, it's – I'm not, I'm not thinking about the lack of depth as a concern as, as much in fatigue as I am in the sense of teams are going to have answers for these players. Every single starter, as much as we've talked about how the balance, they have different guys stepping up every night, they've also had guys kind of uh, not be good on given nights. I mean, Iggy against Wisconsin, Charles Matthews uh, during his slump, Jordan Poole is, uh, you know, you can argue slump or not slump. He's averaging, you know, he's, he's scored double figures his last five games, but it's been inefficient. Xavier Simpson has ha- will have nights where he has six turnovers. John Teskey's going to have nights where one thing I, I would add regarding Teskey's game, you know, a lot of his points come residually, pick and roll action, you know, right. one guy's crashing, you know, the, then the help defense goes and suddenly he's open uh, with a nice angle to the basket. So it's in, and, and Penn state with the, with the one, two, two, you know, they, they closed off a lot of driving lanes and Teske's not a post up guy. He never, I don't think he ever has been, so that was part of why he was quiet. But he's going to have nights where he's quiet too or it's going to be a mismatch. And when you it's it's just basic like probability. The more people you have who can step up on a given night, the more likely you are to have a successful night because you know statistically you're not going to have say you have 8 guys who can step up and produce. Well, you're not going to have all it, the odds of having all 8 guys struggle is low. But if you only have four guys who you can really count on or five guys or six guys, you know, it's just, it's that much harder to win every single time. And that's where I think the depth is an issue. Cause I, I you know, they didn't play well against Montana in the NCAA tournament, but Jaron Simmons and Charles Matthews combined for like 34 points and, and they won maybe it's 30 points, but you know, it's if they didn't have those guys, they might've lost. They might've been, you know, a team that's upset. So, yeah, that's that's probably the biggest residual concern. I don't frankly, I don't read too much into most of the things that went wrong for Michigan. And I, I do I do think as much as Michigan likes to as like, like every team, every team likes to preach the one game at a time. It's got to be hard. You play a physical physical high-profile matchup against Wisconsin on on Saturday. And then you know, I mean, you're in that time of year where it's like it's dark, it's snowy, it's icy. I mean, they when they flew to Penn State, it's like they had to like circle State College while they cleared the ice off the runway. It was kind of a, a lackluster environment against a one and eleven team in conference play. Even though Beeline said till he was blue in the face that they were better than that, it's I can see where it's hard to get up for it, at least early. You know, when you're down and you saw that comeback, that's one thing, but. You know they were down seven within the first six minutes, and that's that's hard. I mean, it's just it's just harder to come back when you when you're down. So, right. it's it's one of those things. I think when you start seventeen and zero, you know, I was worried when I posted asking for questions. You know, like were people going to act like did this team peak too early? No, they didn't peak too early. I mean, I guess if if they end up finishing the season three and three and then Lose in the Big Ten tournament and lose in the NCAA tournament, then maybe you could say that. But, um, you know, 22 and 3, they still have the, they're tied for the most wins among high major teams. They're tied for the best record. I guess Duke Duke only has two losses and uh, so does Virginia, but still, you know, (laughs) all signs, this is still a very much a top 10 team, one or two seed. Uh, I mentioned since it's a Quadrant One loss, I don't know if they're going to fall in the net rankings. It kind of depends on how Kentucky and, and some other teams shake out. But, you know, and they still have all their big games ahead of them. So,
1: yeah, it didn't peak too early, about, but it's tough. Right, It's tough. You still got to feel good about their resume, though, too. I mean, mm-hmm. that Her- – that- yeah. North Carolina the North Carolina, Villanova and Purdue wins early in the season look really, really, really good right now. I mean
0: Yeah, they aged well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then you get you you know, you the win over Wisconsin and I mean that Indiana win their first win in kind of Indiana doesn't really look that great anymore, but um yeah, Saturday will be an interesting game. I mean, I watched the tail end of Maryland's win over Purdue and they got some guys. I mean, Maryland to me they look like that team. That I mean, there's a lot of talent there. They look like a team. I feel like on a good day is the third best team in the conference. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and and watching them yesterday, they have like they have guys that can do things at every level on the floor. You know, with hmm. Bruno Fernando and Cowan is a guy actually that gave Simpson some problems. I feel he like did. last
0: year he's really fast. Yeah, he's he just is quick.
1: Right. And like, so I think that Maryland's always, I mean, granted, was it, was it last year in Maryland where Michigan just absolutely shot the lights out? Was that the one yeah, where and they were up
0: 24 at halftime?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, where they couldn't miss. I, one of my favorite, uh, I call it a gif but I think it was Ace I go blog. There was a shot of, I don't remember. I think it was Abdul Rahman who hit the three pointer at the end of the half. And like, you can see in the background in the crowd, you can see a Maryland fan, like right as the ball goes through the hoop, grab his coat and get up to leave like at <laughs> halftime. And for some reason, I always remember that, but you know, it's like, you know, but like I said, I think Cowan has given, yeah, Gabe Simpson some real problems last year. And, and Fernando's a guy I think that's going to challenge Tesky a little bit down low too. He's you know, like so
0: athletic I, you right. know, teskey well, is not, I wouldn't call him an athletic dynamo, you know, right. it's, and then Jalen Smith versus Iggy. I mean, that's a matchup. I know Smith hasn't had this freshman season he probably expected to have, but or am I thinking of the right guy or am I thinking of Aaron Wiggins? Uh oh. I don't, I don't. Uh oh. I, I should have pulled that up before. Anyway, they have they've recruited as well, if not better, than everyone else in the Big Ten. They're inexperienced. Right. They're they're the second most inexperienced team in the country, but they're playing I mean, they just beat Purdue, you know, and they're playing they're playing awfully well. Uh, you know, it, as you said, when they're playing like they did last night, top three team in the, in the league. And I agree.
1: I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's – I mean, here we go. We got – yeah, because I think Jalen Smith is a freshman. Mm-hmm. I think Eric Ayala is a freshman as well. Okay. And I believe is it was Wiggins, the other one that you were talking about. Yeah, I haven't –
0: I, I yeah, follow a Maryland a little bit. I don't know how much he's played.
1: He had 11 last night.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So including three from deep. And then I think Ila had a really big, I had a pretty good game for them yesterday too. Yeah. He had 15 and also had three, three pointers. So, you know, and Cowan's already a guy that can kind of beat you from either side. But again, yeah. Wiggins, Ayala are both 40 plus percent from beyond. So hmm. they're an interesting team to me. I mean, again, I, I, there Michigan's at home and, and I always lean towards John Beeline over Mark Turjon yeah, uh, in I a coaching matchup. Too. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's that's where Michigan has some, you know, an advantage in that regard. But I do think that Maryland is is definitely gonna give them some problems on the defensive end of the floor. Well so, it's
0: it's gonna be a very I think it's gonna be a situation where everyone is going to see what else Michigan has. Because I think it is a little bit of a, you know, coming off the Penn State loss, you're at home, it's going to be sold out, going to be a stellar atmosphere. It's going to be an inexperienced Maryland team on the road. Because we talk about these Big Ten road games. Well, you know, for the most part, it's the younger teams that struggle in the road games and the veteran teams, I think, like a Michigan. Michigan State is probably technically young, but they're led by two third-year starters in Nick Ward and Cassius Winston. And you know they have guys like McQuaid and Goins who, who have seen it. You know they're a great road team, and and I think, I think Carson Edwards is someone who's who's able to do things on the road as well. And Ethan Happ and Wisconsin, the way they play, so you know Maryland is not quite in that group as far as veterans. They don't have that. You know Cowan is, but nobody else, you know, necessarily has that experience. So
1: it'll be. All right here's here's this though, Zach. You look at Maryland's schedule, four of their, so they're 19 and six. Uh huh. Four of their six losses versus Virginia at Purdue, at Michigan State, at Wisconsin. I mean, that's, those are about as four as good a losses as you're going to have anywhere in college basketball this year, let alone that their loss to Virginia, they put up 71 points, which. You know, they we were down know how, a lot. I don't know. Right, much. right. Yeah. But still, I mean, that's you know, Virginia's top five. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, t- right. You know, so, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, Virginia. Yeah, one of the two or three best teams in the country, probably. You know, so I mean, yeah, they had a, they laid that egg against Illinois. Who, that being said, you know, Illinois. All of a sudden, Illinois is five and eight. They're ahead of Indiana. They're ahead of Northwestern. They're ahead of Nebraska. They're mm-hmm. right behind Ohio State. And Minnesota. I mean, they're not the their early. I think their uh, non-conference schedule really put them behind the eight ball because they're tied with Penn State for the worst record in the conference or in the uh, overall record. But and
0: those two teams have the toughest schedules in the country, strength of schedule.
1: R- right. So yeah. Um. So there's some good some good losses in there. If you're Maryland, I think so. That's going to be good win.
0: You know, Purdue at home is is one. Yeah,
1: Purdue. Um. Did they end up beating Wisconsin either time? Yep, they beat Wisconsin at home, sixty-four to sixty. Okay, so that okay. must have been right before Wisconsin went on their winning streak, I suppose. It and was. Then, um, it was. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, at Ohio State, yeah. I mean, by fifteen. Same with Minnesota. Mm, okay. At Minnesota, by fifteen. At Rutgers, by fourteen. I mean, so they've, you know, their non-conference looks like it was a total joke outside. It of was. It but was. Pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but they did lose to Seton Hall too, but Seton Hall actually looks like the only other decent team they played in non-conference besides Virginia.
0: But we mentioned they had, they have what, three freshmen starters? Yeah. Three freshmen. You know, so, so so how much of that was them still learning and how much, how much better are they now than they were, say when they went to Michigan state, you know, they started out great in big 10 play. Uh, I think they were seven and one to start and then they go to Michigan state and it was kind of a, Pop in the balloon situation, but have they grown are they on the upswing again are they do they figure some things out that are better on the road so yeah I think it'll be an interesting because Michigan's offense I think does need just for its own sake to provide some answers I think it does need uh to to do some things differently defense I don't know it, you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge Teske's gonna have to bring his a game but also when he isn't playing seven, six, seven wings, he does usually bring his A game. So it's it, it'll be an interesting matchup. I think it'll be, you know, you talk about the every year they have a dud and then they kind of get hot. Well, we'll see. You know, if, if their schedule's tougher, so I don't know if getting hot is going to end up equating to wins every time, but it sure would on Saturday.
1: All right. I agree.
0: Anyway, that's probably enough basketball talk. We did get a recruiting question. Uh, This one comes from Joseph Florile. Uh, Should Michigan fans be worried about football recruiting in 2020? Michigan doesn't seem too high on a lot of top player lists. It is early, though. Steve, you mentioned last week Michigan showed its evaluating chops in 2019. Uh, Do you – how – First of all, how much should fans be looking into the lists early? But then also, how much should they be looking into the definition of top players?
1: I mean, you probably know the answer to the first question. I
0: know the answer because we talked about it before right. the show. But
1: Well, but I don't even think we would have had to talk about it. Uh, I would be look minimally into where they are on some, some top lists. We're doing our first 2020, our first one like the rankings right now in my opinion i suspect in 2020 are virtually worthless at this point as far as there are going to be some drastic changes there are there's i can't remember a cycle where there haven't been drastic changes now i mean there are guys at the top top like the julian flemings the justin Flo, like those guys are going to be up there i mean those guys are bona fide five-star players but when you get from like say like 20th to like the rest of the list, they're going to be wild, wild fluctuations. Uh, Yeah. You go down the list, Trent Jones, Cornelius Johnson, Carson Barnhart, Giles Jackson, Jack Stewart, uh, Charbonnet, obviously the easy one, David Ojabo. I mean, these are guys who all moved up well over a hundred spots before they committed to or either after they committed to Michigan or throughout the process. Right. I mean, well, even Eric, all I'm looking, he moved up 316 spots. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't even get talked about in that regard, but he did, he moved up as far as anybody did. So, um, you know, I, I, so in that regard, it's so, I mean, it's to say it's early would be an understatement. Mike Sainer still moved up 191 spots. I mean, it's like every one of these guys moved up. Um, and it's, you know, some of these guys, do they become have, like more heavily evaluated after they commit to Michigan? I wouldn't maybe deny that, but it's also that does not mean it's a lock that they're going to get a bump necessarily. I mean, there were a couple of guys I felt like should have gotten bumps that didn't like George Johnson's one that we talked about a lot. So, um, so yeah, so I don't really put much stock into that. Um, like I said, when our next, maybe a better question after our next re-rank comes out, I don't, again, I don't know what those rankings are going to entail. I suspect though, that there are some guys that Michigan has, Offered, let's say during winter evaluations, or maybe even some guys that they all have off they offered a while ago who aren't that highly ranked, who will see upward mobility in the rankings. Like, you know, some of the guys that we would consider like top target types. You know, like I don't look at a guy like, uh, well, I think a good example, a really good example is Braden McGregor, the Port here on the four star out of Port Huron. He's a lock to move up. It's just a matter of how far. I mean, I. I think you can make the argument he's number two in the state uh, behind Justin Rogers Hmm. Uh, and also JD Johnson too. their, their verbal commitment at quarterback. I think is a guy who's, who's definitely going to move up. I think the way Michigan went about that recruitment is as good an indication as any, that this guy's uh, probably a four-star prospect, you know, to move that early on him after Harrison Bailey committed to Tennessee, you know, to, to move that quickly with Johnson and take his verbal commitment when they did, I think, uh, and, you know, considering he was originally ranked where he was when he was playing behind Spencer Rattler, the, uh, top, I think the top overall quarterback in the 2019 class. So he didn't,
0: I'm sorry, did JD Johnson not start this fall?
1: So Rattler began the season. I'm trying to, I'm trying to recol re remember this as well as I can, uh, Radler started the season and I believe he got into some kind of disciplinary issue. I have to say, I don't know the specifics or anything like that. Hmm. And so then Johnson did come in and start like the rest of their season. And I want to say he took his team really far and the film is really good. He was just one of the, uh, he didn't get invited to the opening yet, uh, but he was one of the top performers out in LA last weekend. You know, I'd like to probably try to do something a little bit more on that. I know a couple of our guys were out there, but, uh, again, I think he's ranked as an 84 for us right now. He's the lowest ranked commitment on their commitment list, actually, which is odd. He's definitely not the guy I would have at the bottom of the list. So, um, so no, no, no stock into yeah. any well, of that right now. So wait for the re-rank. Yeah.
0: I have a question about the timeline. Cause there are people who are saying, you know, recruits who are coming out saying top 10, top 12. Right. Do you put any stock into given the timeline of the recruiting, do you put any stock into if Michigan's not on a list, does that probably mean that I mean that they're just it's not,
1: not interested? Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, but you gotta remember though, there's and this is what people fail to remember and it's like I try to make this as clear as I can when I'm talking about this stuff. There's still a whole season of football to be played, mm-hmm. you know? And there's What's the what's the one common denominator? Is the teams that are in it every year at the end always have end up with a great recruiting class, right? I mean, it's a it's a it's a fact. So while I don't know, I'm trying to think of a guy who maybe Michigan was well, Kendall Milton would be a good one. 2020 five star out of Fresno, running back. You know, was a guy that Michigan was actually had some good dialogue with him early, and then he released a top ten, didn't have Michigan in it. Um, I believe if he did another list, I think Michigan would probably be back in it. But even then though, like you say, and I, I there's no way to deny it. I mean, if a guy does release a list and they're not on it, it obviously means that the at the <laughs> very least that they have like significant work to do if it's a guy that they're heavily pursuing. Right. But, and then this, just to take that isolated scenario, take Milton, for example, you know, Michigan really, really needs running backs in 2020. They only ended up signing Charbonnet last cycle and as, as highly touted as he is and as good of a player as he should be for them. You know, you need with, with Samuels gone and with Evan's situation in flux uh, even without Evans, because next year is his last year either way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with that whole deal, you know, they, they need bodies at running back and, so, they have the depth chart on their side, right? In that regard, right? So, say Michigan comes out and wins 11 games, when, let's just say they win the Big Ten or they come, they get to at least get to Indy or something like that, and, you know, top 10, top eight type finish for the season. You're going to get guys that are going to kind of, their interest may is going to just naturally is going to grow, right? Because, t- like, it's never changed. I always say it every year kids want two things they want to play for a winner and they want to go to the pros the education all that stuff there are there are plenty of kids who do take that aspect of everything seriously but the common denominator at the top of every recruiting class is are the schools that win and the schools that put players in the NFL you know and some schools like you look at you know Notre Dame went to the playoff last year right mm-hmm. and obviously they're a great academic program and they've put plenty of players in the pros. They so you look at I think with Notre Dame, I think a lot of people look at what they've done on the offensive line. And you got now you got like Quentin Nelson, you got Mike McGlinchey. Like Quentin Nelson is probably could be the best offensive lineman in football right now. For you know he's up there as a rookie. Well, Notre Dame went in and signed I think five or four. It was at least four. I want to say there were five, but just signed excellent offensive lineman last cycle I think as good as Michigan's offensive line class was I think every kid that Notre Dame took up front would have was a kid that Michigan would have taken to if at the time when they were committing so you know so like you know you get what I'm saying it's like that stuff all pays off so it's all part of the deal and you know who knows if 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 like say if Notre Dame had struggled on the field last year many of those kids even if they verbally committed early all bets are off at that point like I say like you know Miles Hinton committed to Stanford like about a, it's been about a month, three weeks, or a month or so ago. I mean, Michigan at this this point in the process, like schools don't even bat an eye at that stuff, hmm. right? Like, that's because think about how many kids flip. And again, I don't actually. The ironic thing is, like Hinton specifically, I don't think I don't really think there's much of a chance he will flip. I think he's going to do exactly what his brother did, which is commit early and then stick with his program. But nine times out of ten, or let's say eight times out of ten. Doesn't mean it means these schools don't even bat an eye. I always go back to last cycle. Michigan got that early verbal from to
0: Corey Couch.
1: Yeah, and did we talk about this last week or a couple weeks ago?
0: Uh, I mean, it's it's been mentioned. You know, Miami Miami
1: didn't even care. Yeah. Well, Miami uh, source say from the uh, from the Miami program basically told me we're glad he verbal to Michigan now that actually increases the chances that we're going to end up signing him because, and that had to do with, you know, he took the early official, not easy to come back up to Ann Arbor, all that jazz, but you get what I'm saying though, where it's like, you know, there's a, there was a kid that a good wide receiver in the 2021 class who just committed to Penn state uh, last week, I think his name was Dante Thornton. I think he plays for Gonzaga in Washington, DC. My initial reaction when he committed was like, well, I wonder where he's going to sign now because it's like it's so hard to keep kids committed for that long, you know, and that's that's 2021, that's a whole different world, but even in 2020 right now, it's just so early to worry about yeah, where they're ranked, where they're at, what lists they're on, they're in on a lot of the top guys that they want right now like they usually are. It's just there's just all those there's a long ways to go and a lot of factors that are out of their control right now that will probably end up determining. But like I said, biggest thing is I'd expect a lot of upward mobility on some of the lower rank guys that they've been recruiting really hard so
0: cool okay good breakdown let's switch uh, real quick before we before we finish up because we we did not discuss it last week we said we would discuss it this week Pep Hamilton no longer Michigan's quarterbacks coach past game coordinator at one point he was associate head coach he is he's gone apparently to the XFL, DC's team, and Ben McDaniels is the quarterback's coach. And and just just so, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other hires around the offense in, in just a second, but Steve, your thoughts on this? You know, I, I, I don't know that much about, you know, McDaniels has, has a lot of schools on his resume or teams on his resume. Obviously, he is the son of a, uh well established ohio high school head coach you know he's josh mcdaniel's his brother uh thoughts thoughts on the move what it means good bad i guess in the off season off season moves are undefeated until something happens on the right. field to prove otherwise right. but it's any 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 thoughts on cooks in the kitchen things of that nature uh, as far yeah. as what went behind this move
1: uh so if you look at McDaniels, Nua, and Campanile, it looks like Michigan was able to sign those guys for the salary that it was costing for Pep Hamilton.
0: Oh, like combined?
1: Yeah, <laughs> those three combined is what they were paying Pep Hamilton, it sounds like. I mean, McDaniels, I, I mean, they just released his, what is it, uh, mem- it's like, Memorandum of Understanding? Yeah, it's like 300 400. Yeah, three hundred this year, four hundred next year. Um,
0: Does he have the same? Don't you can't leave for another Big Ten school, or else you have to pay a lot
1: of money. Leaves, if he leaves for another position within the Big Ten, his buyout is fifty. He will not owe a buyout. I'm actually reading it right off the thing. He won't owe a buyout if he leaves for an OC position outside of the Big Ten East. Or any, or any coaching position. I can't wait so, for the,
0: for the memorandum of understanding to eventually say, uh, if you leave for any position, that's not a big 10 position in the state of Ohio.
2: Right. Right. You know, it's
1: like, it's so, um, you know, I, I again, we talked a little bit about plus from a recruiting or a plus from a recruiting standpoint, in my opinion,
2: Mm-hmm
1: um, is that you defined? The, like is you there,
0: can, do you have any examples of his recruiting chops? Because I know he was at Rutgers. I don't did, don't think anyone is. Well, he's to, younger. That yeah.
1: matters. He's also. I mean, I know he's had. Some, did he have some experience in the NFL? A little bit, right? But mostly yeah, in the yeah. college Yeah, oh, he game. has. Yeah, he's worked yeah. with
0: Cutler. He's worked with
1: somebody right. else. <laughs> so, just from a youth standpoint, and just because. Uh, just think he's going to be a better recruiter than Pep Hamilton was. We can just say that. And then, um,
0: Do you have a sense for his person? Like, Because like, I remember Jed Fish, you know, he was really eccentric. Some, he was trying a lot of like, stuff.
1: I can see him – I think he – because that was a th- – it's like there's this weird deal about what kind of recruiter Jed Fish was. Uh, I actually didn't really think Jed Fish was like uh, a great recruiter necessarily – he wasn't a bad recruiter, but he was definitely more of a, uh, his, I think it was his coaching ability is what made him stand out. And the d- results were tangible, right? That you could see that he was making a difference for them. Well, I remember, again,
0: sorry, sorry to cut you off. I remember no. Jed Fish was like, I mean, he put put together that, that aerial Ann Arbor aerial salt camp. You know, he was, he was very much, he was a pizzazz guy. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if no, there's if we know anything about what McDaniel's is like.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it, it's hard to say with stuff like that. Sure. I suspect. Um, again, he's got a good. He has a good track record, though, and like I said, I think he'll be more aggressive on the recruiting trail than what. Yeah, you know, I think they're they're on the offensive side of the ball. I think you're you could argue now they have a full stable of assistants who will be very aggressive on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just. Um, again, and that goes back to, what we talked about with Warner being a guy, I think, who's been a major surprise in that regard where it's, you know, just yesterday or last week, again, talking to a kid like Gary and hatchet out of Washington is a guy top 150 level guy, kind of a guy I'd forgotten about a little bit just because I haven't heard much from him lately, but there he is another guy I reach out, just ask him how often he's been hearing from, from Warner multiple times a week. Michigan's recruiting him as hard as anybody if not harder and it's like okay like he's really really putting in the work so you know Gaddis is known uh Jay Harbaugh is known Sharon Moore is known you know and so you add McDaniels again another younger guy into the mix I think you're going to see an uptick on the offensive side of the ball as far as recruiting goes so there's that so like the X's and O's stuff we don't know yet you know it's too early to it's like, I don't know, I think there were people that said because Michigan didn't throw the ball to their wide receivers a lot in the bowl game that Ben McDaniels was not going to be a good assistant coach or okay. something. there was like <laughs> that hot take thing, um, was stupid, but, um, so I don't know, it's going to be hard to say, but overall, like I said, I, I go back to, I kind of felt like it was going to play out this way the whole time. I know it hadn't been reported, but that when they took both coaches off, they took both coaches off the road. And hmm. I think it was a definitely, in my opinion, it just, it seemed like a deal where Michigan would prefer to move on from Hamilton, but he didn't really, the NFL interest wasn't there and he didn't know where to go. I don't think he, you could just, I mean, it's pretty clear with going to the XFL. He, I don't think he's a guy that enjoys the college game that much. like, yeah, because there we, were other schools,
0: you know, they wouldn't mind having someone with his expertise on their staff.
1: Right. If it wasn't a head coaching position, they probably
0: wouldn't pay $1.3
1: That That, too. <laughs> but if he, but outside of a head coaching position, I just don't think he's a guy that was as invested in the recruiting aspect, especially. Well, it's um, hard. Um, no, we talked about ability. it. Yeah, because you know. we don't know. For all we know, maybe he, like that, and that's what, kind of what the interesting thing to me is, is like, Okay, who's next? You he know, with it like or... the yeah, with the who's the next scapegoat? You know, because uh, not saying that there weren't reasons in some regard with some of these situations, like with Drebno and and with with Hamilton. But at the same time, it's like you know, if we're talking in next, we're talking in December, and Michigan's lost three games again or something like that. It's like where it, does it full? Is this a move where it's like okay, now? this is all Harbaugh now, if it doesn't work out or if things don't go the way people want them to go, is this all Harbaugh or is there going to be another is Don Brown next? You know, after the way the Ohio state game went, is he kind of a guy now where if they don't play a plus defense in a big game, is he all of a sudden a guy that the public pressure is going to build on? Because that's really the public pressured. I don't know if it played a role or not, but there was no doubt there was, before Drebno was out and before mm-hmm. Hamilton was out, there was immense public pressure for Michigan to make a move on both guys, right? And it's so, absolutely true. Yeah. Right, and so it's like you never—it's like, one of those deals where it's like, is the are the fans or the public are they willing some of these moves into existence? Maybe because the the PR press—the well, pressure. I know the answer to that one. Well, <laughs> right. So right, but I'm saying it's like who's next, right? So yeah. that's where I think that's one of the interesting uh, products of this. I mean, you have a. Another significant turnover this offseason in the coaching staff. I, It's just the way the game is now. I mean, schools like Michigan State are not the norm as far as, like, being able just keeping the same staff members on mm-hmm. year in and year out. I mean, you just look at how many guys – look at Alabama's going to have a whole new coaching staff this year pretty much. Yeah. You know, and it's like that's just – that's the norm. Guys like Harbaugh, guys like Saban are guys that I think in some instances, like, you know, assistants and other coaches look at them as uh, an opportunity to eventually get somewhere bigger and better uh-huh. for them personally, which is like, to me, it's both a blessing and a curse. Cause it's like, sometimes, you know, you hire a guy that's like, is this guy really invested, truly invested in Michigan? Or is he just looking to bust his butt for two years and then you know, find a head coaching job or find a coordinator job. You know what I mean? So, um, it's just, that's an interesting part of it to me too. Uh, but again, that's what any of us would do. I mean, yeah. you want to move up, you want to keep moving up. Right. So, um, and
0: busting so, yeah. your butt is busting your butt. I mean, it's right. I know. agree. It's not
1: <laughs> as if it's, yeah, right. I mean, as if not, as if like, you know, if Warner was to move on, it's not like you can't say this guy didn't have a very positive impact on Michigan's offensive line. Right. right. I mean, that's just, but, um, so, yeah. So that's my, I mean, that's really where I'm at with it. I think it'll be a good hire from a recruiting standpoint. And I mean, we don't know enough what goes on in the film room necessarily to predict. We definitely can't predict on what kind of, you know, hire it's going to be. Yeah. From that stamp from, you know, from a quarterback standpoint. Well, was,
0: I still remember. I don't see Shea,
1: yeah. I don't see Shea Patterson regressing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a no. dumb thought. So, no, it's,
0: and I, I do think Harbaugh. I know fans might not agree. I think if he's hiring someone as a quarterbacks coach, that means he thinks this is someone who will help the quarterbacks room. Uh one thing with Pep, you know, you mentioned the who's next. I think that is something maybe for fans to to keep in mind. Yeah, I remember when they did the Amazon series, Pep came out of that looking he was like a fan favorite, you know, people were really excited about him and the media kept saying he's terrible in interviews, so, you know, he's you know, we didn't we didn't necessarily See what what the what they showed in the documentary, but then all of a sudden because they didn't pass enough, that was the passing game coordinator's fault. That sounds like a Harbaugh thing. He wasn't calling plays, and and my understanding is that he was a big component of the Notre Dame game plan where they passed a ton and lost and struggled offensively, uh, and then they you know, I don't know I, the quarterback. They they were top twenty across the board and pass if in the in the um, Quantity free passing stats, i.e., rating, completion percentage, yards per attempt. Hard to hard, you know. Might feels like that's an indictment on Harbaugh as much as it's on on Pep. So anyway, uh, that's probably a rabbit hole. <laughs> we don't need yeah, to no, need to go not, down. <laughs> not in February. No. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway, I I think. Oh, real quick. I uh, the the analyst hires. You know, it's people like to act like Michigan loads up on analysts when it's you know they have more than most, but it's it's not that many. Uh, they got they got one guy from Ferris State, offensive coordinator of the national you know national power. Did they win the title or were they runner up? Runner up. Okay, and then they, they had the equi- the D two equivalent of the Heisman, and then they had Pearls as the new off the the Ron Prince replacement. Uh, anything? Notable with, with either of those two that stand out to you?
1: Well, no, not really. They're just analysts. Uh, I mean, they...
0: Well, McDaniels is just an analyst. True.
1: <laughs> but, I again, I look at him much the same way I looked at Warner when Warner was technically originally brought in as an analyst. Like, there's no way this guy's staying at that spot. Hmm, okay. Right? These I mean, two
0: you do think could be in that category?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, that's something I think we, like you and I or whoever, like maybe we should do a little bit more on what an analyst does and what, because I that's something I, I mean I have a rough idea. I mean they're they're definitely pivotal in like game prep and uh, film prep and all that kind of stuff, right? You know, and 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 on the the practice field, you know, it's like they're they're yeah, they don't get to be involved
0: a, in practice.
1: Right. Well, but, they all oh, so, see. That's. What, I mean. So yeah. they're like they're like behind the scenes guys. They're kind of the. But they help put together the
0: film, and they and I think they can right. work with players off the field in the sense of like, you know, sitting down with, Shay Patterson and saying, you know, feet here, hands here, head here, you know, things like that.
1: Right, and that's where it's like,
0: play calling. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like I, I just that'd be something I think I'd rather talk somebody more about and actually get like a real breakdown of okay. what um, but again as far as like I don't know the impact I, I've never heard Harbaugh like that's one of those deals with, especially <laughs> with the way Harbaugh is I feel like if there was an analyst who'd like seen a tendency or noticed something that may have made the difference in the game I feel like he'd be the type that would maybe make a point to mention that at some point and that's say true. Yeah. you know like yeah like uh, yeah Ron Prince or something, noticed, like... Well, Prince, about... Prince
0: got commended by offensive linemen throughout the year, but also sure. he was another guy after one year, now he's co- the head coach at Howard. You know, he right. was he was always going to be kind of a stopgap because he was coming from the Lions, and so, you know, he was just trying to maybe cool his heels, build up some chops, and then take another coaching job. So,
1: okay. Yeah, I mean, there could be... Again, I I don't know.
0: It doesn't hurt like, why wouldn't, to have... Wait, right. <laughs> Alright, cool. Sounds good. I don't think there's anything else we need to talk about. Nope. So thank you everybody for listening. This has been the Wolverine Twenty Four Seven Podcast. Check out all of our stories at the MichiganInsider.com, 247Sports.com slash Michigan. I'm Zach Shaw and Steve Lorenz. I hope you have fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.